Actually, our title of uh, the sermon today is Praying in Jesus' Name is Not a Hashtag. Uh, And actually, the whole sermon is about prayer this morning. As you know, the last several weeks, we have been talking about what are our core values. Two weeks ago, Chris talked about the importance and the core value of discipleship. What I'm going to do, of course, today is talk about the core value of prayer and what that's all about. So as we go through this here, um, I'm going to address some things like, why do we pray in Jesus' name? And look at a broader picture, though, of prayer, of understanding what we pray, why we pray, what is prayer really all about. How many of you even know what a hashtag is? (laughs) Well, some of you do. Okay, for the sake of the congregation that doesn't, the term hashtag actually is something that arose out of, um, uh, on the internet here, and uh, it uh, was designed to be able to, uh, uh, for those that are on Twitter, to be able to put in a a name or a word and put like the pound sign in your bulletin that says, uh, praying in Jesus' name is not a pound sign. No, that's not what it says. It says it's not uh, not a hashtag. But a hashtag is really designed so that you can go on the internet and you can make contact with other people and enter into conversations on a particular subject of what they're talking about, and you can be a part of that con- uh, conversation. Let me flip the coin here a little bit. When we pray, we're told, pray in Jesus' name. But praying in Jesus' name are not magic words that get us in touch with God. Praying in Jesus' name is not a formula like a waving a wand that whatever I ask for, then automatically I receive. It's not like Harry Potter, you know, to say an incantation. When I was growing up, a show that I loved to watch on TV, uh, not surprisingly, was Star Trek The Next Generation. And there was a guy who was the leader of the Uh, the ship whose name was Captain Jean-Luc Picard. I love that name. Cool guy, wasn't he? And he would give an order, and he would turn to his first, second in command, who was called number one, and he would say, number one, make it so. And whatever he said happened. And I thought, man, that is real power. I love that, that command, make it so. But Praying in Jesus' name is not a command where we tell God to make it so. What it is, in fact, though, is is that it says a number of things about who God is and who we are. We talk in terms of, we look at John 14, 13 through 14, And we see these words, though. 
Whatever you ask in my name, that will I do, so the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. We pray and understand that, but yet we don't always understand it, because if we take that at its literal value or, or the statement literally, I could pray for anything, whether it was good for me or not, and God, if he were true to his word, he would be compelled to give it to me. Is that the case? Is that the truth? It's not, is it? So it says to us much more than just prevailing upon God in prayer. First of all, it acknowledges an important fact. It acknowledges who I am in Jesus Christ. When I pray in the Lord's name, when I pray in the name of Jesus, I acknowledge that Jesus Christ is one who died for me. I'm standing in that position before God, and my sins are forgiven, and I am forgiven because of Christ's death. And I am in Christ, and he is in me. I pray in Jesus' name because I am in Christ, and he is in me. I also, when I pray that, I acknowledge the sovereignty of God in Christ, and that I'm subject to, uh, to him. I acknowledge that I am purchased by his blood, as we said earlier, and I am his, I belong to him, and therefore I have his name upon me. I am Christian, I belong to Christ. He has purchased me with his death on the cross. Interestingly enough, whenever a person's name was changed in scripture, it was change, meaning that that person was entering into a new life, a new direction, a new blessing. What happens with you ladies when you get married? What do you do? Your name is changed. You take on the name of your husband. And we can get into the teaching about the meaning of marriage and how it applies with Christ and his relationship to us. But the point again is, is that I have taken Christ's name upon myself because I belong to him. I also pray that as a declaration because I affirm and I pray with full knowledge and complete faith that he can do what I ask. There's no doubt in my mind. If I am to truly pray in faith, I have to believe, first of all, that God can do anything. I have to believe that there's nothing beyond his ability or scope that he cannot do. I also have to believe that nothing gets by God. God knows everything. He does not miss anything. He does not take a nap. He does not go off somewhere on vacation. He is always there, and he misses nothing. 
I also recognize when I pray in faith that as well in that situation, that for me, when I pray, I know that he is capable of doing these things. I know that he is willing to do these things. And above all else, I know and believe that God loves me and really has my best interest at heart. He only wants what's best for me. He only wants what's best for you. So however he answers my prayer, whatever his response is to us, it's always because he is about to give you the very best for you and for me. If I am to pray in faith, I have to believe those things. Otherwise, my faith and my prayers are pretty hollow. Okay, so when I pray in Jesus' name then, here, I pray with all this under, we try and pray with this understanding. And I but I want to speak here too also, because I know many of you understand this. You have very rich prayer lives. As many of you know, we've had a number of deaths in our congregation. And in my position as pastor of congregational care, God has put me in a place to walk with many people who have gone to be in his presence. And to the person, these were people that knew their circumstances, they knew their situation, they prayed, they trusted in God, and the doctors would come to them and say, you know, this is serious. You have a terminal illness here. Or, you know, this is the condition that you struggle with. And they'd say, okay. And they'd say, wait a minute. Don't you understand what you're dealing with? And they would say, oh, yeah, I know. But to the person, these people would say, I am in God's hands. I know he loves me. And whatever he has for me, I know is according to his will. And he's plain about that. And I'm okay with that. I'm really okay with that. And it was a great testimony and witness to me about the peace that these people had in that time as they struggled with these things. I know many of you that struggle with illnesses, and I know, that, you know what you have gone through, and yet I am so touched by the faith of you who have walked through difficult times. I am so overwhelmed with the knowledge of God's faithfulness. And people tell me, you know, I feel and I know and I'm aware of the prayers of all the people that are praying for me. Think about that for a moment. Can you know and understand and experience that kind of power 
that type of experience in difficult times? So sometimes we ask, may ask the question, why do we pray? Why do we pray? Jesus himself said that God knows your need. God understands what you need even before you ask, so you don't have to labor, you don't have to yell, you don't have to, to, to you know, just uh, struggle and worry. God knows what you're dealing with. So why do we pray? Well, let's consider a couple of things here. Prayer is not just about our needs, wants, and desires, or our need for God to do something. Prayer at its very heart is about our relationship with God. It's about His presence with us and practicing His presence before Him and knowing what that's like. There was a man, a monk by the name of Brother Lawrence. Some of you may have heard of him. I mean, he did live 300 years ago, so I don't expect you to know necessarily who he was. But he was a monk, and he had the lowest position in the monastery. His job was to wash dishes. Now, I don't know how many monks there were in that monastery, but, you know, there could be 20 to 50 monks in that monastery. And his job was all day long to wash dishes. That was his job. And he had to serve the rest of the monks. But yet, what happened in his life was is that in his prayer and his relationship with God, God was so real to him. He says these words. He says, at times I feel my whole mind and heart being raised up into God's presence, as if without effort they had always belonged there. He could experience the, God, the presence of God every moment of the day because he was in prayer with the Lord. He could pray anytime. He would pray while he was washing the dishes. He said that I experience the presence of God when I wash dishes as much as I do in the midst of Holy Communion in, in the chapel. There's no difference because he prayed throughout the day and communicated with God. Would, would you like to have a relationship with God like that? Wouldn't that be cool to do that? But he knew such peace in the presence of God. And prayer, too, is about growing our personal relationship with God. Prayer, here we see that Oswald Chambers said these words. He says, prayer is the way that the life of God in us is nourished. Let me say that again. Prayer is the way that the life of God in us is nourished. We look upon prayer simply as a means of getting things for ourselves. But the biblical purpose of prayer is that we may get to know God himself, that God becomes real to us as we come to him in prayer. Prayer is about 
seeking God and getting to know him. Scripture says, as we draw close to God, God draws close to us. And that's one of the foundations that we experience in prayer. The, the last thing I want us to look at here is, is that in terms of uh, the purpose and meaning of prayer is that prayer is about seeking God's will for our lives, not our agenda, but his. Now, I know that if you're a young person and, and we've all had the experience, we start praying, now, God, who am I supposed to marry? And we somehow want to know what God's will is in the person that we marry. And it's important to know those things. We ask God to give us direction in terms of a career that we go into. Should I go to school? What should I do? Should I move here? Should I live here? You know, what is your will for me? But let me give you a different, a little different perspective. Perhaps the other side of the coin. Remember we said that whatever we ask in his name, God says he will do, and that is that the Father may be glorified. Jesus himself, interestingly enough, in Scripture, as far as I can tell, only asked one time for something for himself. You know what that was? Let the cup, Father, if it is your will, let this cup pass for me. All his other prayers were always for some other, somebody else, some other person. So he himself would focus his prayer on the needs of others. But for us, as we look in God's direction for us and his will for us, what we find is, is that it comes down to these words. If you remember the, the disciple, disciples, excuse me, themselves, they had been raised in prayer since they were children. Scripture, in terms of Jesus, he never gave this command to pray, but rather he assumed that the disciples already were praying, and so he would say certain things like, when you pray, do this. When you pray, don't do that. So he gave direction about prayer here. But the disciples came to him and they said, Lord, teach us how to pray. And so what did Jesus do? Most of us know this. He gave to them what we call the Lord's Prayer. Now, I love the Lord's Prayer. I love to be in a church service where the, the congregation stands and recites the Lord's Prayer together. That is a cool thing. Is, I, I love that experience. But I may get in trouble here with some of you, but that wasn't necessarily the Lord's intention. That here we have words that we just repeat and we just keep saying over and over. Rather, scholars believe that the Lord's Prayer, as Jesus taught his disciples, was rather categories or topics of, to ha of how we were supposed to pray. So in the beginning, we say, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, is talking about 
how we praise and acknowledge God and understand who he is and the glory of God, and we give, you know, assent to that, we give declaration to that. But then the, the roadblock, the hard thing that comes next in that prayer, it says, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, a lot of us, as we read that, think, well, what we're praying for really is for the time at the end of, at the end of time, Jesus is going to return and he's going to establish his kingdom on earth. And, uh, you know, then all of a sudden he's going to make everything right and that's going to be wonderful. And so we need to pray, Lord, come quickly. Well, that's all true and we need to pray that. But that's not necessarily what that verse is about. What it rather says is, that I am saying to the Lord in this situation, I'm saying, I want you to know that I'm surrendering all of me to all of you. I want you to know that your agenda for my life comes before my agenda for my life. Your agenda for my family comes before my agenda for my family whether it means my business or money or finances, your will comes before mine. I want you to know that I am fully surrendered to your will for my life. I am praying that your kingdom, not my kingdom, be established on earth. That means I am praying that in my world, I want your world to enter in and it, for it to be on earth, my area, as it is in heaven. And you are in total control of everything. And I come to you with open hands and submit myself and my life to you. Isn't that powerful? Imagine what happens when we do that and we make that surrender to him. Imagine the response to that and the experience of that. If we can do that, I would suggest to you that we can know what real peace is. We can know what it means to set aside all fear. We can know what it is to set aside all worry because the God who loves us is in control. He is in control of my life. He is in control of my future, and he is in control of my well-being. Let me suggest to you that the time to pray is now. We recognize that today is 9-11. 
And we all remember what happened on 9-11. But let me suggest to you, we don't have to look to the past to see what to pray for. We've got enough things in the future that we have got going on that we could be on our knees 24-7 in prayer before God here. We need to commit ourselves to his plan, commit ourselves to his will in our life, and commit ourselves to all that he is about. Oswald Chambers says, whatever the problem is, the answer is always prayer. I said earlier in the uh, communion service, importance of not forgetting God in our lives, in our relationship with him. That's why prayer is so important to us, to make that connection with God on a daily basis. And I know we say that my life is busy. I have so many things going on. I've got to get up early and take the kids to school. I've got, you know, I've got to go work early, and I'm exhausted at night when I come home. But let me make this suggestion to you. If you will get up and set a timer in the morning for 30 minutes and use that time to pray, I suggest to you that your day will fall in line. Scripture says there, every day is sufficient unto himself, and that God will take care of the time and work it out. I've had to do that myself. I've had to learn that lesson myself, and it works. If you would like to learn more about prayer, on October the 8th, We'll do a seminar on prayer. What it is, it was originally designed for training for our altar ministers that we have that come down front, but I'm opening it up to anyone that wants to come and learn about personal prayer as well as an opportunity. If you go through that course, you may choose to come and serve as an altar minister, and we would love to have you do that. We'll show you how to do that. But if you just want to come and look at your own prayer life and how that can grow and how your relationship with the Lord can grow through that. We want to see that happen too. So I'm going to call our altar ministers forward here. If you have a prayer need, we are a church, as long as I've been here, that has been about prayer, and it always will be. We had General Assembly here one time, and a man from the church I was in before came up and she said, how do you do all this? How do you get it done? I said, we have people every day praying for the church. And I said, oh, now I understand why. So let me encourage you in your own walk, your own prayer life, your own relationship with God to make that a daily experience in your walk. Let me close with this benediction. Lord, we now come before you this day recognizing that you love us, that you care for us, and that you answer prayer for us, and that there's nothing that you can't do or will do because you love us and care for us, and that all things work to your glory 
and to our well-being. Amen.